Ladies and gentlemen, Simon Tells Tales is proud to present Tillbashing, a retail love story set in the north of England and read by Simon Tells Tales. Episode 2 Six months later and I am still working at Walker's. This morning, I stand in the doorway of the store's meeting room with folded arms. The big blonde sits at the room's circular table. Her name is Josephine. She sits, head bent and hands on her knees. It's been like this for half an hour. Me, stood and air sat, while every member of staff has come up to see. Most of the birds come, arms folded and eyebrows raised, not bothering to hide their smirks. A few bite their lips and scurry away. Josephine doesn't look up for any of them, even though the sound of their feet on the hard corridor floors can be heard from the top of the stairs. She's done for, but she ain't ever gonna show it. That is why I think she is perfect. Isn't much space in here. What with the tellies all boxed in brown cardboard and stacked on top of each other, they line the walls and block the window so as the only light comes from the orange-yellow bulb that hangs from the ceiling with no shade to cover it. Outside, pigeons rustle their feathers as they land on rain gutters and coo as their feet scratch against plastic. Josephine doesn't pay no attention. But you didn't expect this, I say. Of course she didn't. She is sat where I was sat on the day of my interview. A jug of water had been between us then. There'd been bits of paper at her end. Me legs had shook and I'd known there was dark flowers of sweat blooming neath me armpits. She'd asked me what good customer service was. Asked me how I deal with difficult customers. Asked me how to prioritise. Didn't ask me nothing about what I'd do if I got asked to stand guard over an assistant manager who were caught stealing. How many other people do you have applying for me job, I ask? Nothing. After a little while, she rocks forward and back. Her lips make little movements, but no sound comes out. Her arms cross tight over her body, fists clench, and her thumbs tuck inside her fingers like little duck's heads when there's strong rain. Why'd you do it, I ask. Her eyebrows narrow, like when you try and put the same ends of a magnet against each other and they just don't want to touch. The top row of her teeth scrape against their lip. Under the desk, her fingers bend forward, forming claws. Footsteps. And the jangle of keys in the corridor make her eyebrows stop. Her teeth go back into her mouth. Even her fingers straighten out. The footsteps get closer, their pulls footsteps, made by black shoes that look like trainers and have rubber soles. They come, pat, 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 getting up to a run, then pulling back. She knows it's Paul. You spend enough time working in a store with hard floors, then you get used to the sound of everybody. She turns and locks eyes with me, face firm, lips pressed in, back straight. And for a few seconds there she is again, Big Joe, looking proper. And then that look 
is gone. Summit has changed with Paul. He's the lad I met on my first day at work, but he's not the same, not no more. The lad with freckles who ducked down under the tills out of Josephine's way is gone. Now he stands tall, chest out, a smile slit across his face. I stand between him and air. He gets up on tiptoes to get a good look, his shoulders hunched forward, his chin is down, neck is out. His eyes are wide and his arms pull close to his body, bent at the elbows. His hands are half open and they stick out. She said, oh, he asks. Keys hang off his belt. Josephine's keys hang off his belt. A yellow toy giraffe still dangles from the key ring. He slaps a hand against me arm. She said, oh, a shrug. Silly bitch, he says. Why would you think you wasn't going to get caught? Josephine just stares at the stacked boxes of tellies. Later, when the pigs finally arrest her, they slap cold steel cuffs on her and walk her downstairs. The metal causes her skin to roll up round her wrists. One pig stands on either side to show her off to the birds behind the tills at the front of the store. They all look at her. Josephine stares at the ground. They didn't have to walk her out in front of everyone. Could have taken her out through the stockroom door to the shopping centre roof where the delivery vans park. But I don't think Debs wanted that. Debs is store manager, see. She wanted to make an example. Stuff had been disappearing from the store for months and she'd been getting it in the neck from head office over it. That's why she'd sat in the dark of the stockroom all night to find the thief. She'd caught Josephine that morning, passing out tellies to a lad by the stockroom. The lad had legged it when Debs came at him, but Josephine stayed behind. Don't think Debs had been surprised. Everyone nicks in the end, she said. Once the pigs have taken Josephine away... Debs asked me to mop up the coffee spill in the stockroom from where she'd dropped her thermos to run at the thieves. I do. And there, on the confectionery shelves, elbow height to a woman sitting down, is jagged balls of scrunched up Mars bars wrappers lying on top of an opened box. Everyone nicks in the end, see. They run the meat raffle late on a Thursday night in the Albion on Fremo, or Freeman Street. When they first started doing it, place was packed with people holding pink little raffle tickets that had turned dried blood red when they touched the edges of spilt beer. One ticket, and you was in with a chance of getting up to 50 quid in meat from the butchers next door. But there's a lot of lotteries and raffle tickets going on Freeman Street, and every week there was less people in the pub, and every week, through the gaps in the crowd, you could make out a little more of the wallpaper, carpet, paintings on the wall. And my mum would go, oh, I forgot they had that one. That's the thing, see. When Albion's busy, you does forget what paintings they've got on the wall. When you can see them paintings at nine in the evening, that means it's time for the pub to close down again. Time for a new name, new landlord, different colour paint on the window frames. 
since I've been old enough to notice that pub's been the Albion, the Red Lion, the Trawlerman, Queen's Head, King's Head, Queen's Head, Red Lion, Green Giant, Red Lion, and the Albion again. Does well if it can stay for a year, and every time it opens back up, new owners think up a new way of bringing people in, like the meat raffle, or killer pool, or putting on gigs, or pub quizzes with free chips. And with new sign outside and new paint on the window frames and people packing out the rooms, then new owners always think that this time is the time that the pub's going to be a success. Pretty soon them crowds thin out and then there's less and less people standing. And then you're sat at a table and you've got as much leg room as you want. And there's a barman lent over a bar that hadn't had a single drink spilled on it. And the landlord sits with his back to you looking at the receipt. And there's a girl what's giving up asking if you want any more drinks because she knows the answer's no. And so she's looking for a new job on her phone and you can see the wallpaper red and the carpet red and the pictures of trawlers sailing at sunset red. And it don't matter what the name outside says and it don't matter what colour they paint the window frames because that red wallpaper and that red carpet and them red pictures never change. We sit there. Me. Me mum, Uncle John and Aunt Beth, the four of us spread out at a table. Our glasses don't touch. There's only another two tables in the pub that I've got anyone on. At least we have a decent chance of winning tonight, Aunt Beth says. I reckon it's the last one I'll have, says mum. We are still sure he's doing it, ain't we, John? Of course we is, he's right there. Might just take the money and run. What? Fifteen quid! Oh, you won't be the first. Oh, for God's sakes, John. He's right there! And Uncle John pulls his elbows right tight in and turns his head to the bar and then back to his pint. Half full. It must be proper warm. How many tickets you got? He asks me, Aunt Beth. Four, she says. Same as always. One for me and you and May and Jim. She always called me Jim, even though my name is James. He shifts, pushes himself back in his chair, twists his arse and then drops his forearms down on the table so you can have a look at the room. There's three old dears sat by the window and a proper big family spread over three tables by the box. It's all right, she says. Hey, we're in with a good chance tonight. Bet they got more, he says. How many reckon they got? Bet they got more. Look at them. They're proper quiet, confident like. Bet they have got more. I'll leave them be, me mum says. We have got a right good chance tonight. Should have got more, he says. Reckon I can still go up there now, get them from art. Bet they've got more. Oh, hush. Sit yourself down, Beth says. No sense worrying about. I'm getting up, he says. I'm getting up. I'm getting up. You're not getting up. I am getting up, he says. I am getting up. I'm getting more. Oh, drink your drink. I'm getting up. Then get up, Mum says. Well, that's what I am doing, he says. That's what I am doing. I'm getting up. And he gets up, gets up, and stands and looks right at the big group over by the bog door. How many do you reckon they have? Oh, just go, Beth says. 
He picks up his pint. Drinks a bit, puts it down, picks it up, drinks a bit again, starts walking off, stops, comes back, puts it down, picks it up, puts it down and walks off to the bar again. Ah, he says, ah, he says. An hour by the door, Art doesn't even turn round, just sits counting receipts while the barman wipes down Grimsby's cleanest bar. I will get himself in trouble, you will, me mum says. He's an idiot. That's what he is, says Beth. And you shouldn't encourage him. I just want him to shut up. I'll never hear the end of it. Oh, blooming night I'll get it. How many tickets did you reckon they had? And how many tickets did you reckon they had? And did you hear about them what won the lottery and had ever played it before? And how many tickets do you reckon it would take to win it? And Beth, you're going to have to smoke less because just think about the lotto tickets. I tell you, he tries it on with taking away me fags again, and I'm gonna... They're gonna put up the price of fags again, me mum asks me. I shrug. They don't tell me till they want the tickets changing. Well, you should be in charge now, Beth says. They're gonna put you in charge now that woman's gone off to prison. They've arrested her. She's not gone off to prison. And they already handed her keys to someone else, I say. She what, Beth says. Over by the bar, John has got Art to turn around so as John can talk to him with his hands out in front like he's holding a footy close to his chest before doing a throw-in. Her keys, I say. Keys is how you know who's in charge. Managers and supervisors hang keys off the trousers. As soon as Josephine got caught, Debs went and gave the keys to Paul. Oh, I am. He's a son. She can't do that. Mum this time. Discrimination, that is, Aunt Beth. Can do whatever she wants, I say. Anyway, he's got the keys, but I don't reckon it's proper or out. He's been trying to get his mum to make him supervisor for ages, but she's kept saying no. She don't want him getting promoted and sent off to a better store. So why'd she do it? Beth says. Dunno. He's been there longer than me, and, and he works there full time, and... Feast your lovely eyes on this lot then. John has come back to the table with fingers full of pink raffle slips so it looks as if his skin is flaking. Slips fall from his fingers and onto the floor. How many did you? Thirty quids worth here, my love. What are you doing spending 30? Prize me is worth 50, he says. This here is 30 tickets and there's no way them lot have got this much. No way. Dead cert, this is. Dead cert. 30 quid a ticket. Meat costs 50. That's 20 quid profit, that is. 16, Beth says. Because I got four tickets worth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, he says. Still, still it's profit, innit? Mum just shakes her head. Hey, I say to her, even if I ain't a supervisor, now Josephine's gone, reckon there's going to be extra shifts. She looks at me. I could go full time, I say. No more signing on. She smiles and pats me hand. We spend ten minutes nursing our pints while them lot over by the bag doors make a racket. And every time they laugh about something, Uncle John gulps his drink and rearranges his tickets in lines. Half an hour later and 
Johnny still shuffling tickets, his red round the neck sweat on his forehead, and the length of his face grows and shrinks as he grinds his jawbone up into his cheeks and then drops it down. He puffs out air through pursed lips, the raffle tickets jitter and jump and his fingers drag them back into place. He ain't started yet, John says. He turns back to the bar, double-checks that Art is still there, and then drops his face again. Why ain't he started yet? Probably waiting for you to buy more tickets, I say. He presses his front teeth, one larger than the other, down into his bottom lip. You think I should? Oh, for heaven's sake. Beth snatches John's clump of tickets. Art! Who's run the woody raffle? We haven't got all night. John snatches a glare at her, but she glares back, eyes sharper, narrower, the muscles round their jaws more tightly set. John drops his chin. Over by the bar, Art pushes himself off the bar stool to stand and turn and look at his almost empty pub. He drops his chin too. Number 27, he says, his voice flatter than the pint I've been watching for over an hour. John grabs at the pink tickets in Beth's fingers, fumbling and slipping as he lays them out on the table in front. He frowns. Lines crack over his face. Beth has already turned away, arms folded. His eyes go wide, mouth open. He looks at me, then the tickets, then Art, then Beth, then the tickets, then the bar. And then a startled cry goes out from one of the three old dears by the window when she realises she's won. Art doesn't even bother to look at the old dears, just leaves the meat lying on top of the bar and goes back to counting his scant receipts. Over by the bog doors, the big group goes back to talking and laughing. John presses his fingers against the tickets in front of him and shifts them round on the tabletop. How? How many do you reckon they had? He says. Beth picks up her handbag and leaves. John sits, looking at the knuckles on the back of his hand. Once she leaves, he goes back to neck his pint, but there's just one small slug of foam at the bottom, and it creeps down the glass towards his lips without ever making it halfway. Here. May love, here. Be a dear. You haven't got a couple of quid for... No, Mum says. John nods. Nods his way right down till his chin touches his chest. Eh, Jim. You haven't, he asks me. His head has risen, eyes locked with mine. I shake my head. Fair enough. Fair enough. He pushes back his chair, gets up. One hand still on the table, fingers touching them tickets. He drags them over the black wood towards him, right to the edge of the table top, and then lets them fall over the edge, where they curl and rise in the air like little paper planes, rising, turning, falling again, as he walks away. Ladies and gents, that brings us to the end of episode two of Till Bashing. I hope you enjoyed the show, and if you did, don't forget to tell someone and share it with them. Thanks.